Okay, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to just bless us as we look into your, your word again to see what you would have us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 1. We're still finishing. Maybe we'll finish uh, Paul's sentence today. <laughs> uh, we've only been on it for a couple of weeks. So uh, Colossians 1, we're going to start at verse 9. Just read the sentence again. For this cause we also, since the day we have heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the power of the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through the blood of Christ, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created and that are in heaven and in, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All right, so we've covered his, uh, Paul's prayer for the people that they would learn. We've covered that they, they would walk correctly. We've covered the fact that God strengthens us and that we are to give thanks because we are in, inheriting. And that God has actually translated us from the power of this world into spiritual places. So we're going to continue here. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Now this is an interesting thing, redemption. Now, it's not a word we use a lot. For, for those of us that are older, we can remember the days when you saved uh, the green stamps or plaid stamps or you know, S&H stamps and all these other stamps that were out there that everybody sold and you put them in your books and you took them to a redemption center, which was quite interesting. You took a worthless book of stamps and came out with something, which may or may not have been worthless. <laughs> in this case, we're looking that we are redeemed. When we are born into this world and we come alive... We are born as sinners, okay? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody comes into this world good, but in God's standards. And we got to keep this in mind because so many times people will say, well, I'm just a, you know, I'm a really good person. Well, you might be by man's standards, but in God's eyes, none of us are good. You know, we all deserve punishment. We all sinned. And how many sins does it take to, to displease God? One. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit to get a kicked out of the Garden of Eden? One. How many rules did they have? One. <laughs> you know, kind of shows you the man is kind of incapable of even keeping one rule. Adam and Eve have only one rule. Don't eat of that tree you know, of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. You know, one rule. <laughs> and, they and they couldn't keep that one rule. Yeah. You know, it's kind of amazing because you hear people tell you, well, we're, we're, people are just basically good. Well, I haven't met too many basically good people. I've seen people who are generally good, but given a chance, they'll sin. Given a chance, I'll sin. Given a chance, you'll sin. Thank you. I left it there. <laughs> uh, and God says that he's redeemed us. We deserve death. We deserve slavery for eternity. And he paid the price. 
How did he pay this price? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this world, God incarnate, lived a perfect life. And I know that's becoming controversial. There's a lot of churches out there that says that Jesus didn't live a perfect life. But if he didn't live a perfect life, he would not have been the perfect lamb that qualified him to give us the redemption that we needed. The picture from the scriptures is that a perfect lamb, a perfect animal, had to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins. That was the picture of Jesus, a perfect sacrifice. He came, he lived, he was inspected, he was shown that there was no sin, no fault in him. When matter of fact, when they decided to crucify him, they had to give up, they had to give lies to get him convicted. You know, it's kind of interesting sometimes when I talk to the prisoners out there at the, at the prison, they go, well, you know, you just don't know what it's like. I go, but God does. God was convicted on false accusations, false witnesses. He knows exactly what you're going through, so talk to him. Yeah. He was falsely accused, falsely convicted of a capital crime. And he died. Why? So that we could be forgiven. It's kind of an amazing thought when we think about this. He redeemed us through the blood of Jesus. And then if that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough just to be redeemed, he says, and, oh, and by the way, I've forgiven you. Now, forgiveness has been the topic for weeks now, and sure, in almost everything I've been teaching, and I don't know why, but, you know, but here in this verse, it's actually part of it, to forgive. To give up all claim on an account. Okay. When God forgives us of our sins through Jesus' blood, and we accept that gift, he says, on the account ledgers, paid in full. Yeah. Think about this. Once you accept Jesus Christ, he takes and writes over all your sin debt, paid. And, that, and if you know anything about even the business world in general, once you write paid on a bill, that bill is paid. Okay? It's not, oh, well, we made a mistake. You, got to, you owe us money now. They can try it, but it won't hold up even in courts. They may get somebody to pay the bill, but that's not going to hold up in a court. God has ridden, paid in full, and taken us out of this world if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. He says, all we have to do is call on him. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord, believing shall be saved. What are we believing in? That he is the one and only way, the verse that we had. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No other way. I can't go out and do enough good things to get into heaven. I can't go out and do enough religious things. I can't go out and, and witness to enough people and get them saved to earn heaven. I can only go through Jesus Christ. One way and one way only. And you know, that doesn't sit well with the world that we're living in these days. They go, well, what about... What about? What about these people? What about this people? Well, that's up to God to figure out. All he says is you've got to come through Jesus Christ. If there was another way, then Jesus wasted his life dying for us. And he says we are redeemed and we are forgiven of our sins. And that is to give up that right. And it's to be seen as if you had never committed the sin. Okay? Think about this. It is God treats you as if you have never sinned when you're in Christ. That is an amazing thought. Because if he treated us with what we deserve, we'd be in trouble. 
But Jesus' blood covers our sins and God says, it's gone. You're clothed in the son, my son's righteousness. Because he's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In that process, clothes us in the righteousness of Christ and says, wow, look at that, my perfect child. This is my perfect child when he looks at us. How would your life change if you started really seeing yourself as the way God sees you? God, I want to live the way you see me. I don't want to live condemned. How many people spend most of their life living in their past failures and condemning themselves? Or, if it's not condemning themselves, they're, they're living in their past failures, that they're blaming on somebody else and not it, it going forward from it. You know, so many times you'll hear me, well, this is just the way I grew up. I can't change myself. Well, you may not be able to change yourself, but God can if you let him crucify your flesh. He wants to do that. He wants to take us beyond anything that is past. And quit living in the past. Quit excusing wrong actions. You know, we see people that are drunks now, and, you know, and drunks is the impolitical correct uh, way of saying it because you're supposed to tell them, call them alcoholics. Because an alcohol is, alcoholic is a person who is suffering from a disease and cannot help themselves. God says drunkenness is a sin. And as long as you're going to blame something else, you'll never deal with the sin. And it's not just that. It is any sin out there the world is trying to redefine as a sickness. Or, you know, well, I just didn't know. I never learned how to be honest. My, my family grew, grew up as thieves, so that's all I know. So I'm just a thief, and I'll never change because, hey, my, my brother, my, my dad stole, my uncle stole, my grandfather stole, my... My, you know, all my brothers and sisters stole. That's just who I am. That's what I know. I'm not changing. God calls stealing a, a sin. <laughs> no matter how much you want to excuse it, he calls it a sin. We need to look at God's word and say what God calls sin is a sin. Whatever that sin might be. Because until we acknowledge that it's a sin, we will not deal with it. We'll not deal with it as long as we can blame somebody else or something else or, you know, God, I steal because, you know, hey, God, I'm just not rich. I'm, I'm poor. I don't have a job and I have to eat. Well, God still calls it sin. And so we want to keep this in mind. We call our actions what God calls them. If it's a sin, we call it a sin and we deal with it. Does, does it mean that, especially for, for drinking, is one drink a sin? No, God never condemns one drink. He, he condemns drunkenness. Okay, so there are many people who cannot take just one drink. There are many people who can't take one drink without getting drunk, probably. There's others that can drink lots of them and not be drunk. There's a lot of people who think they're not drunk when they are drunk. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, we need to look at these things and say, God, is this a sin? All of us have sin in our life that needs to be looked at and say, this is sin. And it's kind of amazing when you're reading along in the Bible and all of a sudden you hit your sin in the Bible. And that's like when you want to close the book. Oop, done reading. <laughs> don't, don't want to read this part, God. And God's saying, you need to deal with it. Because he has forgiven us. Why has he done it? Because it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Jesus is Considered the firstborn, and that does not mean first created. It, is the, it means the preeminent of all creation. Okay? The word there is not firstborn technically. It is the most preeminent, the chief of everything. And that's who Jesus is. 
The scriptures tell us that all things were created by him and for him as we looked in this. It says by his word they were created. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And by him were all things created. You know, you know it's kind of amazing when people will tell you, and you'll hear it a lot of times, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. We've talked about this a few times. You know, if you hear that statement, it's pretty easy. When he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, and they go, well, we know who our father is, you know, and, we, and basically we're saying, they're saying, you don't know who yours is. And we've talked about that because he'd have, of the virgin birth, they accused him of being a bastard without a father. And he, and they're going, see, we know, we know we're descending. We don't know who your father is. And he goes, before Abraham was, I am. You can't have a much more clear picture of Jesus saying, I am God, than that. Because, and if people go, well, that was mistaken. Well, here's the response back from the Pharisees. How can you, being under 40, know, have known Abraham? <laughs> they knew exactly what he was saying, and they picked up rocks to stone him for blasphemy. Okay? So even if you don't want to believe the statement for what it says, look at their reaction, and their reaction tells you they knew he was claiming to be God. Okay? So... You know, we want to keep these things in mind. And there are many other places where he forgives sins and he tells people who can forgive sins but God only. Okay, again, what was he saying? I just forgave the sins. I'm God. Okay, now did he ever come out and say, I am God in those straightforward words? No. But everywhere you look, he said, I am God. I forgive sins. I'm accepting worship. I knew Abraham, you know, before Abraham was, I am, you know, uh, I have the power to do all these things because of the Father and I are one. You know, he was very clearly telling the Jewish people that he was dealing with, I am God, and they knew it, which is why they so often wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Because they would say, you, you're a mere man claiming to be God. So never let people tell you that Jesus did not claim to be God because it's very clear that he did. And then, of course, he resurrected from the dead, proving that death couldn't even hold him. And then did all those miraculous things after that and changed people's lives. So he is the firstborn. He is the preeminent over all creation. Anything that's created is under him because he's submitted to the Father. And that does not mean he's less than the Father. Submission does not mean that you're less than something else. When we are in the church, we are submitted in the church to Jesus Christ. Jesus is submitted to the Father. That doesn't mean he's less than the Father. It just means he does what the Father says. We as citizens of the country are supposed to be submitted to our government. doesn't mean we're less than the government. It just means the government makes the rules and we follow them. Not, not that we're less than or in, less important or insignificant. Every time, and I know the word submission sounds terrible to many people. Well, that means I'm subordinate. Well, yes, in one sense it does, but it means that you're voluntarily putting yourself under the protection of somebody else. And if you want to disobey the government, you pay the price, don't you? If you're, if you're disobeying the laws, you will get a ticket or arrested or sent to jail or whatever, theoretically, <laughs> if it's running the way it's supposed to. But this is what submission is, voluntarily leaving it. And he says... He is the firstborn of all creation, or the preeminent of all crea creation. For by him all things were all things created. Now that definitely tells us that he's God. By Jesus all things were created. And we, 
You know, one of the things that I've told you all so many times when we talk about the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one, and they are equal, and they are separate. Will we ever understand the Trinity? Absolutely not. Off and on in 46 years, I have studied the Trinity off and on. I can give you all the verses that prove the Trinity. I can give you all the different verses that tell them about it. Do I understand what the Trinity is? No. And you know what? I am glad that I can't. And that may sound like a very strange thing, but if I could understand everything there was to understand about God, he wouldn't be God. Did you catch that? If you can understand everything there is to know about God, he would not be God because he would not be big enough. He would be something that we created out of our own minds and said, here's our God. Idol worshipers did it all the time. Here's our God. He stands over here. Here's how you worship him. We know everything about this God. Our God is so big, so beyond. And how many times have I told you that even when you think you know about God, you still don't know enough? How big is your God? I don't care how big you think God is, you're too small. How strong is your God? No matter how strong and powerful you think he is, he's too, too weak. Because God is always going to be more than anything we can imagine as humans. Omnipresence, God being everywhere. How have I told you that I define that? He's not just everywhere, he's every time. Now let's take it even beyond time. He's every dimension that might possibly be out there. He covers all of those at the same moment. I don't know what's beyond dimensions, but he's bigger than that. <laughs> he's omnipresent. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever you think about God, you're too small. <laughs> you're too small. And I'm too small, and I have a big God. <laughs> and I'm not thinking big enough. Because every once in a while, something will come out of science or something and go, oh, there's, there's more? God, you're, you, you, you include all that. God, there might be multiple uh, universes. You cover all of those at the same moment <laughs> because he's bigger than everything. And it's wonderful to have a God that is like that because if he wasn't, he's not big enough to be God. So always keep in mind, if there's something you cannot explain about God and somebody's really pressing you hard about it, say, you know what, I'm glad my God is too big for me to understand. Because I am. I am glad that God is too big for me to fully understand and comprehend because that makes him big enough to be God. Strong enough to be God. Nothing out there is ever going to trip up our God. And I've said it before, the one thing you'll never hear from God is, oh no, I didn't know that was going to happen. Okay, nothing catches God by surprise. He knows the beginning from the end and is in all of it even, even while we're not there. He's in the past, he's in the future, he's in our now. And he's beyond time. Because time is ending the way we know it. And God's beyond that. How big is your God? Start thinking bigger than whatever you're thinking. And when you come up with something that may sound like it's outside God, it's not. When they give you something that, uh, to consider. So we look at this and it says, By him were all things created. All the things in heaven, and this particular verse for, uh, word for heaven is not the heaven where God dwells, but our atmosphere. Okay? These verses are literally on earth. In heaven, in or on earth, it could be either, either definition. And then it says visible and invisible. 
Now we know what visible is. That's everything we look around the room and see. Invisible. That includes the spiritual. It includes all the things that we can test but not see, like gravity and wind and electricity. Basically, he's saying, I don't care whether you see it or don't see it, it's created. Whether it's physical in this world or spiritual, he created it. You know, do you realize that all of the angels are created beings? They're below God. Kind of an amazing thought when you think about this. How many people have you met that think that Satan is God's equal? Now, I've come across them. They think you got God and you got Satan. No, you've got God and you got Satan. You know, Satan's powerful. Satan is a very powerful individual, but compared to God, you know, God's somewhere up in the stratosphere and Satan is somewhere down here on the earth in comparison to God. He is not God's equal, he is not God's opposition. He's a little yapping pup trying to nip at God's heels. And God looks down at him and says, laughs at him. You know, you think you're all of this, but you're nothing. You know, it tells us that he's a lion on a chain. Job tells him if he wants to even do anything to people, he's got to go ask for permission. God, you know, I really want to do this to Job, but as you pointed out, but you've got him so protected I can't go anywhere near him. Okay, you can do this. Satan cannot do anything in this world without asking for permission from God to do it. Whether it's to us as Christians or to the world. Because his desire in the world would be to wipe it out. So that nobody else can become a Christian. So he is on a leash. He is only allowed to do what he's given permission to do. Now God gives him a lot of latitude because of the free will of, uh, of people. And we've given a lot of reason for him to give us judgment and trials. There's a lot of things that are going on from sowing and reaping, that you do something wrong and you deserve to get something back and you will get something back bad usually when you do something wrong. Okay, all of that is out there. But God is saying all of these things, whether it's visible or invisible, heavenly, spiritual, physical, anything, all things that are out there are created. Multiple universes created, time created, dimensions created. The fact that we even have anything physical created with a plan. So we want to keep this in mind. There's nothing outside of what God is going to say can happen. Does that mean only good things happen? Well, we all know that's not true. You know, God lets things happen to us. Why? We look at Job. Job was given a ten, you know, given a very hard time and what was it God said have you considered Job <laughs> he's a perfect man he hates evil yeah. and then look what Job went through and then God says see this he, he, he stood up for me over all and blessed him most of what we go through in it's hard time in life is God showing us number one that we're not as smart as we think we are we're not as strong as we think we are and that we need to stay dependent upon him. Because anytime you think, I've got this, you know, I've got this, God, I can do this, God will go, okay, you think you've got it? Let me show you that you don't. God, I really learned this. I know this lesson really well. Okay, let's see if you really believe it. And he'll put you in a situation that says, do you believe it? God, I really believe that you're going to supply all my needs. Okay, 
let's see, your, your house just blew up on a, on a fire, your car just broke down, and you lost your job. Now do you trust me? You know, and that happens all the time to us. Do, will I really trust God when everything looks like he's lost control? And that's what all of our tests are about. God, I really think that you're going to do, you know, you're going to make sure you take care of this for me. God, you can do this, you can do that. And God says, okay, let's see if you really believe me. God, blessed is, is the death of your saints in your eyes. And God says, okay, let me take one of your family members and see, do you still believe that they're in heaven? Tough, tough thing sometimes, isn't it? When reality hits what we believe, and we have to decide, do I really believe what I believe? You know, or as it says in the truth Project, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? God will put us in those tests all the time. Are you willing to take and stand for him regardless? God says to witness to people, and you say, God, I'm going to witness, and then the first person who threatens you makes you stop. God, I'm going to do this for you. And the first hardship that comes along, oh, God, I guess it wasn't for me. You've closed the doors. I'm not going to do it anymore. How many times do we as Christians stop at the first sign of hardship instead of persevering to do what he wants us to do? Oh, it's so easy. I've done it myself many times. Stopped when, when I should be persevering. So we want to be careful about that. Then he goes on to say, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And these are kind of some questionable things on it. Some people believe that these are all talking about the angelic world. I tend to believe that the thrones and dominions are this world, our governments, and our, and our groups over those governments. Uh, there are places where there are teachers who believe that those are the low-level demons and angelic forces. But when it gets to the idea of principalities and powers, those are angelic. When Daniel was praying and Gabriel said, I started out 21 days ago, but, but the prince of Persia of, came against me and I had to call for Michael. And Michael came and helped. You know, the head demon, head demon over Persia kept him from getting there. There's a battle in the spiritual world that God is allowing to have happen as well. And that's what principalities and powers are, the levels. You know, we probably do not have an angel assigned to us that watches us all the time. We probably don't have a demon assigned to us that watches us all the time. But there are demons that run around and they take little areas and then there's, you know, they, both God and Satan have a hierarchy according to the scripture of authority. You know, your little weak idiots are down at the bottom. <laughs> Working up to the sergeants and the officers who may or may not be all that good sometimes, but they're powerful and strong. The angels and the demons are stacked in the same way. If you're doing more for God, you're probably drawing attention from stronger and stronger demonic forces. If all you're doing is saying, I'm a Christian and not doing anything, you know, they're just checking in on you once in a while, make sure you're not having God on fire. You know, because honestly, if all you are saying I'm a Christian, but you're not doing anything, you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you barely come to church, you're not a threat to the kingdoms. You're not, you're not going to do anything for God, and you're not a threat to the kingdom of Satan. So you're just going to be left alone. Yeah. Just whatever happens, start doing something. Start doing something for God. Start sharing the gospel with a few people. 
and see what happens. So they're saying, God, I want to I give more of my money to you and see what happens. God, I want to start working in the church and doing some service, teaching a class or, or ministering in some way and see what happens when you start stepping up off, off, off your butt and into some activity. And God says we're to serve. Doesn't have to even be in the church. You can serve anywhere. You can do home Bible studies. You can minister to people. You can reach out and touch people in many ways. But God is saying serve. And he's got, but even all of the dominions that are created out there, it says all things were created by him and for him. This world was created for God. Now, I've always wondered because God knew that we were going to sin. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was not a moment where God smacked himself on the head and go, oh no, how could they, how could they have done that? <laughs> he already knew before he created man that man was going to fall. Why he created us, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I don't know why God created man knowing that we were going to fall, that Jesus was going to have to die on the cross for our sins because in Revelation it tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world so the sin of man was not a surprise you know, and yet he created us when Adam and Eve fell the very first prophecy of Jesus coming is there shall come a man a child from the seed of the woman the serpent will bruise his heel and he'll crush the serpent's head immediately there wasn't any Okay, let me think about how this is going to happen. It was already in plan, already known in theological circles. We call it the predeterminate counsel of God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together, said we're going to create man. Man's going to sin. The Son, would you, I'd like you to, to die for their sins, to redeem them. And the moment Jesus said, I will, man was redeemed. Now think about this. Man hasn't even been created yet. And they've already been bought back from their sin. You think God sees time just a little bit different than we do? <laughs> sees our life a little bit different than we do? <laughs> Hasn't even created us and he already buys us back. All things were created by him and for him. Everything that goes through our lives is for God. All the victories that he lets us have and he gives us, and note that I say he gives us, He's the one that powers us to have any victory whatsoever. We surrender our life. He gives us victory. is for him and for his glory. And you know what the great news is? He gives us the victory, and then he rewards us <laughs> for allowing him to do the work. I kind of like God's, work, God's plan. Uh, every, most everybody is looking for that job where somebody else does the work and you get paid. <laughs> Well, that's really the way God allows it. He says, I'm just going to crucify your flesh. I'm going to work through you. And by the way, I'm going to do the work through you and I'm going to give you the pay for doing the work through you. I love God's plan. <laughs> Makes life really easy. All I have to do is surrender. Now, many people have trouble with that only surrender part. You know, give up, let God crucify you. And it's tough. It's hard to do sometimes. When you go, God, I really don't want to do what, you're, what I think you're telling me to do. God, I, I had plans. I don't want to be in the car going to this, this park for whatever reason you want me to be at this park today. Well, I have somebody I want you to talk to today or meet or help. 
And you go, God, I've got, I've, got, I've got better things to do. Aren't we glad Jesus didn't tell the Father, Father, I've got better things to do than die for these people today. Yeah, he had the right to. He's God. You know, we've talked about he went to the cross to hang on the cross. What kept him there? Wasn't those nails. Wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross in pain and agony. It was his love for us. Because at any time, he could have said, Father, none of these people are worth it. Just take, I'm coming home. They are just not worth it. Aren't you glad that he did not take that attitude with us? He said, God, Father, I'm going to die for them because that's what you want. I'm going to shed my blood so that they can come and be with us for eternity. Think about how long eternity is. And whatever number you're thinking, multiply by in another eternity and you might be a lot closer. <laughs> you know, there is no end to eternity. Whatever the biggest number you can think of is, you're too small. <laughs> now, however many zeros you want to put at the end of that number, you're too small. Because you'd have to have the number raised to the power of infinity. And we can't even comprehend that number. God loves us so much that he gave his life. Knowing that we deserved punishment. And that all we have to do is say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept your gift. Come in and dwell in me. Take over my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Very powerful message for us to understand. And this is where this verse is stopping, where he finally ends his sentence that everything was for him. And then the last one on, on verse 17, and be, he is before all, and by him all things consist. He was before all of creation. He'll be after all creation, and he holds everything together. Now, think about this. What if God was like most of us and lost concentration for just a second? The whole world is held together because he thinks about it. Do you realize an atom should not exist scientifically? You put a whole bunch of protons together. What happens if you try to put the positive sides of, an, of a magnet together? They shoot apart. We have atoms that are a whole bunch of protons stuck together. And scientists will tell us they are held together by something called the nuclear force, but they have no idea what the nuclear force is. Well, I can tell you God says he holds it together. Do you realize that the electrons flying around these protons should be collapsing into the protons? Because again, if you take two magnets and you put a opposite sides together, what, try to, especially if they're strong enough, try to keep them apart. They'll click together. An atom should collapse into itself because you've got electrons flying around protons that are being kept at a distance away by something they call the nuclear force. And they have no idea what it is. The very base science that we know says our world cannot exist. And yet it does. And it really freaks people out because all they do is this is mystical force that holds it all together. We don't know what it is yet, but given enough centuries, we might find out what this mystical force is that holds everything together. And the Bible tells us that God holds it all together. So imagine God saying, well, let's see, what am I going to think about today? Whoops, I forgot about the earth. <laughs> I am glad that God doesn't forget about us. <laughs> How hard will it be for him to de destroy the earth at the end of the millennial kingdom in a great ball of fire? Just 
for a moment, stop holding it together, and the whole universe disappears in a flash because everything will collapse. Pro nucleus will explode, proton, electrons will collapse. It won't take long. All you've got to do is stop thinking about it, stop holding it together. All things were created by him and are consist because of him. This is the power of our God. How big is your God? How powerful is your God? And as I've said, he's not big enough. Let's close in prayer. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this or in this room that doesn't know you, we ask, number one, that they will decide to come to you, that they will admit that they're a sinner and come to you and seek after you and, be, and become your follower. That you will, they will just admit they're a sinner, repent and turn away from their sin and accept you as their Lord and Savior. And that they will then seek out a good church and, and start learning the Bible. Lord, for those of us that are here in this room that are believers, help us to see how big you are and how much you care for us. Help us to, to decide to serve you in a mighty way, whatever way you want us to serve. And whether it be just as a servant, a teacher, a helper, whatever it might be that you're asking service to be, that the people will surrender their lives for that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.